Welcome to the Real Estate Survival Guide, the show that teaches realtors how to create a thriving real estate business. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Estate Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, John Shookman, and I am so thankful to have you with me for today's episode. A huge thank you to Jennifer Harshman and Harshman Services for sponsoring today's podcast episode. I'm so thankful for the team at Harshman Services for being a part of helping my business and for sponsoring the podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Estate Survival Guide podcast. Honored to have you guys with me and pumped to have you with us for today's interview. I am excited to have our guest with us today. I have my friend, Jen Smith. So Jen and I first met through Total Life Freedom, and we've been at a couple of retreats. Now I see her at podcast conferences, and she is a personal finance expert and co-host of the top-rated Frugal Friends podcast, one of the top podcasts in the world. Jen, since paying off $78,000 of debt in two years, she has been on a mission to help people spend in alignment with their values and live for today while saving for tomorrow. Jen is also the author of two best-selling books on controlling your spending and paying off debt, The No Spending Guide, and Pay Off Your Debt for Good. So Jen, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I gave a brief intro to, you know, the podcast Frugal Friends, which is one of, you know, the top podcasts, especially in the finance space. But, you know, how the heck did you get into, you know, this space where now you kind of get to teach people finance really in a fun way and do that, you know, every week for people? I mean, and it's been a long, like, very not planned route, which for me, it's it's funny because I like to plan everything out. I'm a list planner. I like flexibility, and and that's kind of what I plan for. I plan my flexibility, but I never saw myself as a as a podcaster. I was an acupuncturist for many years, and that was what my school debt was in. When my husband and I started to pay it off, I started getting really interested in personal finance. And that's what led me to writing personal finance, which led to my career shift to writing about that full time. And so I've been a writer by trade and ventured into podcasting kind of just to get a, you know, something to break up all the writing. And now that's what I do full time. It just goes to show that you never really know what your dream job is. Like you just, Mm. you don't know until it happens to you, I think. So. Yeah, I love being able to be really candid. And I think one of the reasons um, that I'm able to is because I have a co-host, Jill, who is just a complimentary opposite of me and allows me to be myself, brings expertise and insight to the table that I would have never thought of. And we're able just to have fun together. And I think whenever you can make something boring and stressful like money uh, a little more comical, just a little more real life. Like it's not about being perfect. It's about just being yourself and working through imperfections. I I think that's what really attracts people to our show. We're like an anti-personal finance show almost. Yeah. What I think I appreciate, and you guys do an amazing job. I love the episodes you guys have because I agree. I, I think they're fun. And I think, I mean, you know, my journey, you know, like the Dave Ramsey thing. What I think is so cool 
about what you guys do with your podcast is really, you know, you actually had an episode recently where you're talking about should you pay off all your debt? Right. And you guys were both sharing your journeys and you kind of on one of you on that episode was like, well, we paid off our debt, but then we really didn't feel this freedom that we thought we would. And so but what I think is so cool about what you do is like, okay, so you have the Dave Ramsey, you have the all these other financial gurus, yours, I think it has so much freedom in it where you're saying, hey, this is what works for Jen, this is what works for Jill, but you guys need to do what works for you. I think as mm-hmm. I'm taking notes here, I wrote balance. I think you encourage people to just balance and like, hey, have a life. It's okay to go to dinner once a month, like budget for it. Did that kind of balance, was that planned? Did it just kind of happen? Like, how did that all come about where your show was just different than other finance shows? Yeah, it's funny because I actually hate the word balance. I think it's such a like a trendy overused term. I really like selective prioritization. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of The One Thing by Gary Keller. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will also be a fan of that book. Mm -hmm. I really do believe in prioritizing one thing at a time. And I think a lot of people can get caught up when they have prioritized one thing they and it works for them they preach that it should work for everyone it works for me it can work for you and that is we see that not just in money we see that all over the place but in reality what works for you may work for somebody but only for a season and what works for you in a season may actually not work for me in a similar season and what works for you Maybe you shouldn't have done it for so many seasons. Maybe it worked for a season and then stopped working and you just were muscling through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm speaking about my like myself kind of offhandedly. But yeah, so really doing the selective prioritization based on where you want to be in the future and reevaluating season by season to see, is this where I still want to be prioritizing? Should I flip-flop somewhere. And that sometimes can make you feel like a failure because we Mm. want to do one thing. We want to do it to completion, but really eliminating this feeling of failure when it comes to money Mm -hmm. um, and replacing it with the idea of if we do what's best for us in our seasons, because our seasons change and things always come up that you're not planning for plan for the unplanned and you will, you'll flow with it. Um, And so there's a lot of good rules of thumb to take with you so that you can figure out what's right for you in each season. But so that's kind of where we land is, is absorb these things that people are teaching, take them with a grain of salt and use them as filters to figure out what's right for you in the current season you're in. I love that. And I think that applies so much to realtors because things change so quick, right? Six mm-hmm. months ago, my business was in a much, it was just different than it is today. And so for you or even for the realtors listening to this, how often should they kind of, you know, maybe do a worksheet where they go through that selective prioritization where they like, like, should it be quarterly, yearly? How often should they do that? Or how often maybe do you do that? Do you guys do that? I I like quarterly, but also if you have kids in school, then it's really good to do it like uh, three times a year. So at the beginning of both semesters, the beginning of summer, um, because kids really do have a huge impact in what you are capable of doing 
as a family unit. If you don't have kids, then it's something you want to consult with your partner. Sometimes there are projects at work that that fluctuate um, or seasons in the market. When you see a real estate season is changing, that's a good time to reevaluate what you're doing. Like if you're in a very, if you're coming from a very high income season to a slower income season, then it's definitely time to reevaluate the priorities. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting too. I love what you say. And I do like that word, that phrase better than balance, but it's so interesting because I think I've been in seasons where my business is so busy and I'm like, I didn't see my wife for three months. I didn't see my kids for three months. Like, did I make really good money in three months? And that's three months. Sure. But I think people listening to this need to think like, okay, was it worth it? And it's, you know, I think money is one of those things where it's very easy to say, I measure six and and we'll get to this in a second because I want to hear for you. But I think so many people say to themselves, I'm successful based on a dollar amount. Oh, I made 70,000, now 100, now 150, now 200. And I love the quote. I think it was Nelson Rockefeller. Someone said, sir, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. And in you know that time, 100 years ago, he was one of the richest men ever, but mm-hmm. he just felt like a little more. So how do you decide what is important and what that goal should be? Yeah, I mean... That is the million dollar question, right? <laughs> That's what we're all trying to figure out. And it's not something that you can just sit down and do a worksheet and decide. This is an ever changing, ever evolving answer of like, what do I want to be doing in 10 years? What do I want to be doing in 20 years? It'll always change. And it should. Like, that's a good thing. That's not a reason for, you know, to be sad or like you failed. Uh, we are always evolving as people, hopefully, as you grow. And then the second, what's enough? Like, what is enough to fulfill that mm-hmm. and to compensate for when it changes? And the best we can do is guess. Like, the literal best we can do is guess. Uh, so it's nice to have these ten, like 10, 20 year visions that this would be nice. But I think it's more important to just focus on one or two years at a time. Uh, there's a quote that I forget who says it. I think there are, it's attributed to a lot of people, but it goes that we vastly overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate mm-hmm. what we can do in 10 years. And so when we have these big goals that look like they're going to take five, 10 years to complete, like a debt payoff, we're like, there's no way I could do this. There's no way. But we give ourselves these big lofty quarterly goals um, that are really unrealistic for the for the season we're in. And then we feel like, or, or even budgets, we make this perfect monthly budget. And by the end of the month, we've, you know, we haven't stuck to it because it was perfect and we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. So we underestimate what we're able to do in 10 years. A lot of the times because we overestimate what we can do in a year. Um, and if we're just working on staying in tune to am I just reevaluating that seasonal shift? Like, are the activities I'm involved in what I want to be doing? Are they getting me closer to what I want to be doing? Is this getting me closer to my anticipated dream life? Mm-hmm. And I'm and am I able to afford it? What do I need to do to be making more? And we always ask that question first. And then we asked, what can I do to be cutting cutting expenses to make that easier to make it so like maybe I only have to increase my income like 10,000 a year 
instead of 20,000 a year. So it's never either or. We're never saying like, oh, I will just increase my income so I can spend on whatever I want, or I will just cut mm-hmm. expenses because I am not able to make more. It is always both. We are we are capable of both and trying to do both to make the other one easier. Yeah, that's that's really good. I love I love the what is enough because it's just something that people need to ask themselves. So tell us more about like how I know the journey, but I want my audience to hear like how the heck did like this podcast that you kind of started to like break up the mundane of writing become something that like people love and is like huge in the finance space. I obviously know it got featured and that helped, but I'll let so kind of tell us how that all happened. Yeah, featuring. I mean, it gives you like a temporary boost, but it's not like a platform that you want to like build your show yeah. toward or on. Um, getting featured on Apple is uh, is very great, but yeah. it is definitely not the key to our success. Um, I think we have always tried to make each show as helpful to one person as possible. So we go in and we're like, okay, this is the topic. How can I help the person that has this question as much as possible? What are going to be all their questions? What is the intent behind them asking this question? And how can we get the whole spectrum of people with this question? Um, that's secondary. But we we just think of the person asking the question and try to help them as much as possible from whatever angle we think they might be coming at it from. And then from there, we think, how can we help as many people as possible who have this question? So I think one of the things that helped our show grow in the early days is that we really utilized search engine optimization that was really only being used in blogs and websites. We just kind of transferred it to podcasting because that was my background is SEO writing. So that's Mm -hmm. how I just transferred uh, SEO writing to basically SEO podcasting. And uh, so that helped people find us early on. And I think it was the emphasis on like really saying like, we're we're not the expert of experts. At the very beginning, we were like, we're not experts. Even though I was like writing full-time for a personal finance website. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I actually am an expert in this and I should probably start telling people. I can't say it on the internet that I'm an expert and on the podcast, I'm not. Right. Right. So, but just because we're an expert doesn't mean we know everything. It means that we're maybe 10 steps ahead of you. And if you went back and listened to all 250 episodes we've done of Frugal Friends, you will hear both Jill and I go through an evolution of how we feel about money, how we feel about frugality, how we define frugality, how we would view our own stories. So it has caused this evolution even for us. And so we still are not the expert of experts. We still don't know everything. And so we really position ourselves as just 10 or 20 steps ahead of our listener. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that has helped people relate to us more. And it's taken weight off our shoulders. If we don't know something, we're very quick to say like, oh, I've never heard of that. I've never tried that. I don't know. Try it. Let me know. 
mm-hmm. uh, sort of sort of attitude. That's so interesting. And I, I think that's a good lesson for people out there, right? Uh, you know, people that listen to this have thought about, okay, what could I produce? What could I write about? And I, I think just being 10 steps ahead is a great lesson. I remember I started my podcast because I was like, oh, I really wish I, I thought, and this was actually about two years ago at a TLF retreat, you know, and I was like, you know, what do I wish would have been there when I started? Right. Mm -hmm. And even as I build success, you know, and build my business and now be part of building a team, I try to always remember, don't forget what got you there. And I think that's so great that you guys do that. Like, all right, well, what did we think about money here? And even you reference, you're like, hey, guys, we talked about it on this episode so they can go back, listen to here's how I felt here. Now, here's how I feel now. Mm But I think in real estate and I'm, you know, in, in finance and real estate, there's so many people that like build, build, build. And then it's kind of I mean, and again, I love Dave Ramsey from many of what he says, but it's like he's up here. If I'm just trying to make ends meet, I can barely pay my bills. Like, how do I even get to this level of like knowledge? And so I think thinking, you know, OK, 10 steps ahead. And where was I 10 steps ago? You know, what do people want to hear? I think is helpful for people listening to this in the content they should produce. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it takes so much weight off your shoulders and it helps you. I mean, it allows you to kind of play around with what are people really responding to? What am I really jiving with and getting excited about? So it, it allows you more wiggle room to play and find your sweet spots too. That's really good. What are people responding to and jiving with? Um, So, because see, I didn't even know this. And that's why I love just having a conversation. You're like an SEO expert for realtors that are producing content, you know, blog posts, things like that. What are some misses that you see that realtors can maybe take some simple steps to improve the content they're releasing to people to make Mm -hmm. it better? I think with newer websites, I think going for the big fish is a big mistake. So trying to compete with NerdWallet, Bankrate, Motley Fool, trying to compete for the same keywords is, I mean, it's a waste of your talent. It is more beneficial to you to use the audience you already have to see what they are asking and answer it in your words and share it with them and they will share it with other people and you just optimize those things for SEO. So really utilize the outlets you already know will quote unquote promote your stuff um, rather than fishing for backlinks and trying to compete with big fish. I think that's the best advice. Just being most as helpful as possible for the clients you already have. Mm. And, and just think of the questions you get asked the most write something and then you can just send a link whenever you get the question again or whenever you see the question asked in a Facebook group or something. So that's the best way to start is to have 10, 20 articles like that and then start doing like extending your keyword research. That's really good. Thank you for that. 
And I love that, you know, I think in TLF that we're in together, like, you know, Vincent often says, like, what are the things people are asking you? Go build. We're, I, I think as entrepreneurs, we often can get so, so in our heads, like, I need to do this and I need to do this. And it's like, nobody's asked you for that. Just mm-hmm. go do the stuff people are asking you for. So, you know, for realtors out there, even like, okay, your clients, right? You don't need to really worry about like, you know, maybe your clients are all first time home buyers. So you don't need to worry about talking about investment properties if that's not what your clients are asking for. So that's mm-hmm. really good stuff. I love your journey and everything you've built. You know, you and Jill have done an amazing job building the podcast, making it fun, making it, you know, something people want to listen to as the show grows. And, you know, as you meet these amazing connections that you made through the podcast, how do you measure success? Mm. I mean, a part of it comes down to the dollars in the bank account. Of course, Mm -hmm. we are this started as a hobby and now this is what I do full time. And so Mm -hmm. I have to be able to contribute to my family. We are not independently wealthy. Yeah. So that comes down to some of it. And I think, I mean, the rest of it is if people keep downloading, if the show keeps growing, people are coming back. I think that is, it's much more valuable to attract a listener who will binge the backlog than it is to just grab people for one or two episodes. That's good. So we've really built uh, an inventory of episodes that people can listen to all of them and find value in all of them versus one-off things. Um, and they're evergreen. And so yeah. when I see downloads growing month over month, I know we're attracting listeners mm-hmm. and keeping them that they're going through and they're absorbing. And maybe they're not reviewing or sending in emails. A lot of them do. So that's always really nice to read the kind words. Mm -hmm. But as the show... And I know people say you shouldn't think about money and downloads. But honestly, like that's that's the thing. Like Mm -hmm. If people are listening and continuing to listen, they continue to be motivated it makes an impact and they continue to reach their financial goals. And we may never know that, but I assume as downloads grow, that's what's happening. And then if they are, you know, joining our membership or buying a digital product or supporting us on Patreon, then they just, they love the show and they love what we're offering that much more. So we've made advertising the largest part of our income because we, Honestly, like we just want to put, we want to ask for money. We'd rather get money from like companies than our listeners because our listeners are looking to divert their money towards their financial goals. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do offer some products just as kind of to diversify. We, I mean, our goal is just to have like 20% of our income come from diversified portfolio of Mm -hmm. other things. So that's, that's really success for us. That's cool. I love it. Uh, and and I think I wrote attract and keep attract and keep is like just even those two simple words is like, if you can do that, you'll have success. Yeah, um, If you can keep them, keep yeah. them, I think is the is the biggest. And because we're not very good at attracting, we're not super good at marketing. We're just good at keeping people around. Uh, yeah. That's what we're good at. So, yeah. Well, And if, if they listen to you and they know, like and trust you, 
there you're gonna retain people and i think i mean i love your episodes because like you jump in and like instantly grab people's attention which i think makes people like oh i don't know mm-hmm. if i like you yet but i think i do and i want to listen more to find out if i do and that's a way to keep someone from being like after two minutes like oh these people suck like i'm out <laughs> yeah i always think about when i am listening to a new podcast Mm-hmm. It's to get the answer to something. And so when I get into that podcast, I want to know this is what we're talking about. This is how we're going to answer the question. So if it doesn't sound like you don't waste the rest of your time and then maybe some chitter chit chat and but getting into the answer to my question within five minutes, because I don't care about the host at the first time I listen to a show. I don't care about them. So we live, we leave our chit chat. Like we end the episode and we have like a short break and then we, then we chat. Like if you care about us, you'll wait, you'll get to the very end of the episode. But, but we know you're not here for us at the beginning. You're here for you to get your question answered. And we respect that. Like we're not making a podcast for us. Mm -hmm. Like we're making a podcast for impact and money. (laughs) So, So, which is, yeah, I mean, most podcasters, we didn't podcast for money until the last year, but uh, we podcast for impact and you can't impact if you can't keep them. Yeah. So, so those have been really important to us, like to realize our listener is not here for us in the beginning. They may stick around for us. They will stick around for us, but they're not here for us in the beginning. So like, don't waste their time. Yeah, it's so good. So good. So I'd love to transition real quick and then we'll close out our time. So I know because of the TLF retreat earlier this year that you and your husband had kind of been looking at properties. So dealing with realtors, can you share for our audience as you've dealt with different realtors over, you know, like your period of looking at homes and all that? Like, is there anything that like, a realtor did that like really struck you the wrong way that you're like, realtors do not ever do this. And if not, that's okay. Or anything that the realtor that you did use did such a great job that you're like, realtors, you really need to do what this guy did. Yeah. So we dealt with several realtors looking for our investment property and we were just not prepared for the market that is Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg, especially January to May which is when we were looking and it was hard. I was not ready. I'm still not ready. I'm still recovering. So we dealt with several different real realtors. The first was like a, like a regular realtor, like a traditional, like family buying their home. And she didn't really get what we were looking for. She also lived in Bradenton. She wanted to show us places in Bradenton. She didn't want to drive up to St. Pete. She wasn't showing us like what we wanted. Um, And so we kind of ditched her and we tried to find some investor-friendly realtors. Mm-hmm. And then we ran into the problem that they had so many clients and they were dealing in cash that they prioritized those higher ticket, higher volume clients over us, uh, first-timers. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we um, we hired a investing coach she she only actually works with investor friendly realtors now. Her name is Sarah Weaver, and she she trains investor friendly realtors. But she was working with investors at the time, and she helped us find an investor friendly realtor in our area in St. Pete. 
and he was fantastic. Mm. Knew exactly what we wanted and knew things that we wanted that we didn't know. He knew the market. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you guys are going to have better luck doing this versus this. He was attentive and we were committed. We weren't flip-flopping. Like we were in it. And he honored that commitment with his commitment. Now, he did not take calls after 9 p.m. And I respected that. As an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, I respected that. It unfortunately did lose us a house because they were trying to do business at 11 p.m. (laughs) Um, And so that was really unfortunate. But ultimately, I respect his decision because I have a life too. And I don't want to be doing business after 9 p.m. Mm. So... I really loved how attentive he was to us. And I guess it's it kind of is bare minimum for a realtor, I would think. We with our realtor when we found our first home, she was very attentive. And so I just assumed that would be everyone, but it was not. And yeah. um to, just to show that he could be very attentive with us and still have a work-life balance. Yeah. And I love that. What I heard you saying was you kind of had three different types of people, right? Mm-hmm. I I, mar- I marked them. Realtor lady was number one. She didn't get the investment side. She And she showed what she wanted us to see in Bradenton, not where we were. Number two was investor person, but they only wanted to deal with the cash people. So you guys were kind of like not important. Mm-hmm. And number three, even though he didn't have calls after nine, Sarah recommended investor friendly, knew what we didn't know we needed to know. I think that's a huge, huge takeaway for realtors to say, okay. And I think I'm so glad I didn't even know it was three, but I'm glad you had three. Like, okay, here's two, don't do this. And here's one, do this. Mm -hmm. And if he communicated, I think if he communicated well, hey, just so you know, I don't have my phone after nine. Sometimes it's a bummer, but at least it wasn't like he just didn't answer and you never knew. Like, I'm sure he communicated, hey, I I won't answer after nine. I'll answer the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very clear, like from this time to this time in the morning, I'm bird dogging. Like I'm looking for I'm calling people and looking for, you know, deals. And then but that was like early in the morning, you know, and then when normal people are (laughs) doing, you know, Mm -hmm. business up until normal people go to sleep. He's like, I'm I'm on. Yeah. And he was. Yeah. Like, so it wasn't yeah. like you would call him at 7 30 and he didn't answer because no, I'll be on till nine if you need me. And then I, yep. Get family. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Consistent. Yep. This is, this is all amazing. I appreciate so much. So tell us as we get towards the end of our time, take us to a period in your life where you kind of maybe dealt with some adversity, transition, and what would be a piece of advice you wish you could tell that version of yourself? Um, so, so I think it was maybe like a year and a half ago, I was running several businesses mm-hmm. uh, on my own and I was doing everything very competently, but nothing could grow because I couldn't commit to one thing. Mm. And uh, it was actually Vincent from Total Life Freedom, mm-hmm. who I had never met before, but got on a call with me and really challenged me and to and asked me that question, what is enough? Mm-hmm. Like, what is enough? And, and what, what do you want to be doing? And at that time, what I wanted to be doing was the podcast, but I didn't think it could make me enough money because mm-hmm. there's two of us. So pretty much everything <laughs> is cut in half. Mm-hmm. So 
he really challenged me and I had like a decision to make at that point. I could continue to do five things mediocre or I could choose one thing and just go ham on it. And I chose to to go ham on the podcast. And um, it was that focus that led to um to paying attention to an opportunity to to go on to come aboard on the iHeart network, yeah. um, which has really been um life-changing for the show. It has, I mean, changed the direction of everything because it's made everything else easier or unnecessary. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was it deciding make that really hard decision, giving up things that were good to focus on something that was great. Um, oh. And it was not easy, but ultimately very thankful that I made the hard decisions. I love um, I had Jesse Cole on my show once and he he said, um, do you know who he is? Mm-mm. OK, so he owns Savannah Bananas has been on like USA Today, ESPN. So Jesse talked to me about doing the things that give you energy. And but he also said that like his journey, you know, when I said introduce him, he's like, oh, yeah, the uh, the overnight success that took 12 years. And so what I think is so cool about your journey is even as I look at what you guys have done with the podcast, I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at all the success they've had. But you're even saying here like, OK, but a few years ago, we didn't do that. We just signed the iHeart contract last year that really changed your your life. Like so. I think it's a cool lesson for people listening to say, hey, like you don't know the opportunities that can happen. I love what you said. Not good. Great. And, you know, five things mediocre or one thing go ham. I I think that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that. Tell us a piece of advice. And actually, I did preview this, but I'm going to throw one in there for you. Um, A quick piece of advice for realtors who feel like they're struggling. And for those of us, you know, I've had people that say this because they just see how my journey is going. They're like, wow, you're definitely thinking about investing. So can you give us a piece of advice for a realtor who feels like they're struggling in their business, can't survive as an entrepreneur, the market shift, et cetera? And then can you give us a quick piece of advice to a first-time investor on what they should do when looking for their first investment property? Mm -hmm. I think when things like issues arise in your business, you just have to look. Sometimes if you're just trying to survive, you look for the low-hanging fruit. If you are surviving, but you're looking to kind of maintain momentum or, or narrow your focus, I think simplifying is the way to go. Uh, for first-time investors, uh, uh, stay hydrated if you're a crier. Um, <laughs> and know that, I mean, it's tough out there. Mm. It's tough. I am still recovering from all the deals that we lost mm-hmm. and just how exhausting it was to go look at all these houses mm-hmm. and how, I mean... Gosh, I guess. Yeah, there are a ton of investors who just like hire other people out to do it and then just throw down money. But we were using hard money loans and still like couldn't get I mean, hard money, 60 grand over asking still couldn't get a bite. And it's just at some point it was just like, what is it worth? And so now instead of buying an investment property, we're in a you know quote unquote house hack. So we're like, yeah we're renovating the back half to be a rental and we've rented out our previous home. And, and that's tough too. Like I loved where I lived Mm. and I left it by choice 
for the land of wallpaper and layers of carpet in the bathroom. So, yeah, and renovations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a don't rush it, even though it's torture. When I was done, I was done. And I just sent Travis, my husband out, and he was more interested in than me. So if you're not into it, don't force yourself to be into it. Yeah, that's really good. It's a miracle. I really thought, uh, you know, I was with Jen at a at a retreat in uh, in uh, St. Augustine earlier this year, and uh, we were talking about real estate and what she was dealing with down there. And, uh, you know, Travis was home at the time looking at homes. I thought Travis was going to kill Jen, that Jen was at a retreat and Travis was looking at homes that day. But you guys got it. And uh, yeah, but that's a good lesson. You know, don't rush it. And it it can be tough. I think that's a good lesson. So thank you so much. Yeah. By the end of it, I wasn't going to any homes. I was home and I was at my house and I was like, you go have fun with Calvin. I can't do this anymore. I can't get attached to something unless Mm -hmm. we're under contract on it. I won't. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you so much. And what you and Jill have built is incredible. And I'm so proud of you guys. And the show is great. So uh, tell people where they can find Frugal Friends podcast. Tell them about your website, books. Where can they find all the things that you're doing and connect with you? Yeah. So you can find Frugal Friends wherever you are listening to this show. We are on every podcast player. And you can also find us at frugalfriendspodcast.com. That's got our entire backlog. It's much easier to search the website now than it is to search in the podcast app. So if you've got something specifically that you want to learn to save money on or a concept that you want to know more about, head to our website, search for it under episodes. We probably have something. And if we don't, send us an email and we might think about doing it. Uh, And I also have several books on Amazon. Um, I've got the No Spend Challenge Guide and Pay Off Your Debt for Good. And you can just search for those on Amazon and they'll be the first ones to pop up. Awesome. Well, Jen, thank you again. Congratulations for everything you've built and the success you've had. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Jen Smith of the Frugal Friends podcast. She definitely has a ton of knowledge and I'm so glad she was willing to share it with you all today. As we close out, here is a few of my first takeaways. I think the biggest thing is what I kind of took at the beginning is that it's just been a long journey, right? You don't build this overnight success and quit your full-time job and be able to podcast full-time. It doesn't happen, right? She didn't plan it this way. It wasn't the path she kind of thought she'd be in from, you know, the acupuncture to now the career shift to now being a full-time podcaster and making good money doing it. But she's done really cool stuff. And so I think the takeaway there is like, Enjoy the journey. You know, it's not going to be the way you see it, right? Life isn't like, a, you know, a mountain that you just climb one step up each way at the time. It's a roller coaster up and down, up and down. And I've definitely seen that with what Jen is doing. So another big takeaway is, you know, what Jen and Jill talk about on the podcast and what she shared on the show where I talked about balance and she said she hated that word and I'm glad she called me out, you know, but selective prioritization, right? So big for realtors and I love the term. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? That might shift based on priorities with your family, right? Sitting down with your spouse or business partner, whatever it is, deciding what you're going to focus on in the next season of life. And I just loved what she said about selective prioritization. And I love 
how on her show she encourages people to choose what they are going to focus on, right? She doesn't want to tell you what to focus on. She wants you to be the decider of that. So really good stuff. I love how she talked about like giving grace to yourself, right? Not having it all together, not being perfect. Really good. Love how, you know, as a content creator, I love how she talks about the success she's had with the podcast, right? And getting on iTunes was big, but, right, she said, She wants to attract the right people and then keep them, right? Attract people and then keep the audience. And they do a great job of this with the podcast, you know, where she talks about, well, we try to answer one person's questions. And then we say, okay, we've answered one person's question. How can we um, help as many people as we can answer their questions? And so I think this is great. You know, if you're in podcasting or content creating, this is a great lesson for you. But even realtors with your content creation, your social media, what we talk about, what are you putting out there, right? If you're being helpful, if you're answering questions like Facebook, LinkedIn, social media pages, taking different questions and answering them, that is a huge way to grow your business, right? Answer the questions people are asking. I've talked about this website before, but if you don't remember or you you haven't done it, check out answerthepublic.com. Look at the questions people are Googling about realtors and answer those, right? You can answer those in a blog post, a podcast, videos, whatever it is, answer those questions. And so I love the idea of, yes, attracting the right people, but then keeping them. Well, how do you keep them? We answer the questions that they are asking. And so really loved this lesson. You know, and I didn't really plan on this, but just loved her journey that she shared from January to May, you know, with her husband, Travis, dealing with different realtors, kind of reminded me of like Goldilocks and three bears, right? One uh, chair is too big, one's too small, one's just right. And I think that works the same way with realtors, right? She shared examples of three different realtors, right? The first one um, was not a fit, right? That realtor was not investor friendly, that realtor was not showing them things they wanted to see. That realtor was showing them things that she wanted to show that were closer to her and more convenient for her. You know, and then there's realtor number two. That realtor only wanted to deal with people who had cash. um, And so they just were basically unwilling to help Jen and Travis in their journey. And then finally, they find the third realtor, right? This was an investor-friendly realtor and a realtor, I loved this point, who knew what they didn't know they needed to know about investing and who was attentive and who was very clear about like priorities, right? I'm not available after 9 p.m., but during the day, right, you know, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., that realtor answered their calls, was consistent, got deals done, set clear expectations about that family time. And so I hope that even if that's all you take from this episode, take that huge lesson Don't be the first realtor, you know, showing what you want and doing what works best for you. Don't be the second realtor who won't work with someone because they don't have cash, right? Be that third realtor, right? Be that person that's going to set clear expectations. Yes, absolutely, you can have boundaries, but do what your client wants and, you know, be open, you know, with them and tell them the things they need to know that they might not even know they need to know. You know, I kind of joke, it's so funny because, I joke with my clients all the time. I'm like, it's like you're going to Target or Walmart and you pick something off the shelf. I'm not going to the store with you and telling you what to buy, right? You are the one shopping. So as your realtor, I let you, the client, pick what you want. I'm not the one making decisions. Now I'll guide you, I'll coach you about what offers you know, will get accepted, things like that. 
but I'm not going to make decisions for you. I'm going to serve your needs above, you know, what is convenient for me. So yeah, and then absolutely loved her advice to realtors, right? What's the low hanging fruit? How can you simplify what you're doing? As you think about, you know, your real estate business, how can you do those things? Loved as well the advice for investors, right? It's tough, you're gonna cry. This was so pertinent because me and my wife have been looking at investment properties and just haven't found the right fit yet. So we're not just gonna jump just to jump, right? Just like Jen said, we're not gonna rush it. So make sure you guys um, don't rush it as you think about investing, right? Wait for the right deal and just don't jump just to jump. Don't, don't buy something just to say you bought something. So thank you so much, Jen Smith. Make sure you guys check her and Jill out with the Frugal Friends podcast. I'll have everything in the show notes. Really appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed this interview and I'll talk to you guys very soon. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Survival Guide. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others discover the show. Thank you so much and we will see you on the next episode.